0: Dad singing hymns to their kids. Um, mine was, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. And having kids later in life, it gave me great encouragement. <laughs> and I appreciated the part about how sweet you hold a newborn baby. And, uh, you know, just telling myself over and over again the blessing that it was and seeing those things come to fruition. And, you know, uh, I could do that shaking thing real good when we would get over there and Because He Lives and... They'd be out in no time. So, uh, uh, and it might have been because the singing was terrible, but it worked, and uh, and I praise the Lord for it. Sweet times, sweet times—they uh, go by so fast. Um, well, this morning we're uh, continuing the theme: of God's design uh, for His church, um, and we've talked about a number of things, and uh, today we're going to go back a little bit and then we'll read forward a little bit where we were last week uh, to take up this idea today about about growing up, about Christians growing up, maturing uh, in their faith. And and that's what God's design is for a healthy church, for people of God to mature and grow in their faith. And uh, Paul tells us, uh, he, he, he fleshes this out on the pages of Philippians for us. And, uh, you know, this is something where there's examples that are being uh, set here before us. And it's interesting when you think about uh, Paul's writings and the timeline of, of, of the placement of this with respect to the church there at uh, Philippi. And I'll uh, give you a little bit more on that in a moment. But we want to begin in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 7. And we'll read through uh, chapter 4, verse 1, uh, so we kind of get the context of what we're uh, looking at with respect to this idea of growing up, maturing. So if you would, with your Bible open this morning, would you please stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word this morning, and we'll begin here in verse 7 of chapter 3. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Verse 17, brethren, join following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the power and the message, Lord. And I pray, God, for transformation today. I pray, God, that we would make it our personal goal to grow in our relationship with you, to grow up and to mature and to fulfill the call and the will of God on our lives. We love you and we need you. And God, we just, again, ask this morning that you would manifest yourself in our presence today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to move over to 1 Thessalonians real quick, chapter 4 there. And um, it's interesting because here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and even down in the chapter 5 there, This letter in which Paul penned 10 years prior to the letter penned uh, to to the Philippians, how consistent is he here, right? Um, Before he says it to the church at Philippi, a decade earlier he says this to the church at Thessalonica. In chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, Finally then, brethren... We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. For this is the will of God. We, we talk about we want to know the will of God, right? And we know His word and His will, they are synonymous. And there's sometimes that special revelation to us as individuals with respect to our calling. But you want to know the will of God? Verse 3. It begins that way, right? For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Each of you should not possess, handle his own vessel. Sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know. That no one should take advantage of, us, of you and defend, excuse me, and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarn you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness but in holiness. Now, what is, what is Paul saying? He's saying to the church at Thessalonica, God wants us to grow up and to mature and to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word sanctification is the act of being set apart, becoming holy. Perfected in Christ, but life's experiences and circumstances of life and the daily ebb and flow of life, these things we carry out in a certain way because of our worldview and the nature in which we have that has been changed completely through the Lord Jesus Christ so that we want to be sanctified because we understand this is the will of God for us to be this relational person with Jesus Christ and for us to be different and to be set apart, to be unique and distinct for the glory of God. He would also say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as he is kind of closing out that letter, in verse 16, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you that we not quench the Spirit, uh, that we do not despise the prophecies, test all things and hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Again, Paul, is it's this idea of you've been saved, you've taken on the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, now live for God's glory. Live differently than the way you were. Live for God's glory. So ten years later, even from imprisonment in Rome, His tune has not changed, right? His mind has not changed. He writes this letter to the church at Philippi and expressing to them this idea that God wants you to grow up. God wants you to mature and to take personal ownership of your discipleship as a believer. I mean, churches can offer Sunday school uh, you know, all manner of discipleship programs. And I mean, we do because that's that's what we're here to do. But we cannot make people come, right? You, you can't force anybody to, to do anything they don't want to do. I mean, you do what you want to do. It's there, it's provided. Uh, is there room for growth in those areas? Uh, sure. But at the end of the day, we do what we want to do. And, and, if, and if it means something to us, we want to be there. So Paul is addressing these things, this idea of maturing. And I want us to understand the first, uh, a couple of things. Number one, this process of Christian growth, it is relational. And it is this relationship, first and foremost, with Jesus Christ. Now, if we think about Paul's life, prior to him becoming Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, right? And, and Saul had a different agenda He he had a different uh, idea about life and and his calling and what he was doing. And he was very zealous, and he was very sincere. And and it reminds us that you can be sincere about the wrong thing, right? This morning in our Sunday school class, we were talking about, uh, in our culture we have this term, practice makes perfect. But if you're practicing wrong, it won't be perfect, right? Perfect practice makes perfect. And Paul was practicing something very well, but it was the wrong thing. And and Paul came to understand this, and he writes about it. And that's why he says, All of these things that were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. It is an acknowledgement on his part that there was a time in his life that he was dedicated, I mean, he was committed to the wrong things with respect to his belief in Christ and what the purpose of the church was, so on and so forth. He persecuted it, very sincere in it. And he said, these things I have have counted lost. And he said, for what? For the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, the knowledge of Christ Jesus. In other words, you know, this relationship with Jesus Christ, it's greater than, than the relationship I had with the law, that it's now personal. It's meaningful. It's not about what I do, but it's about who I take with me when I do anything now. Because it is this relational aspect. And we need to understand that. Christianity is not just a, a book of rules. There, there are things that we need to do, and Paul says there are things that we should do and things that we should not do. We In our culture today, we may not want to hear that, but that does not change the truth of that. We are to be sanctified. We are to, to understand that as we got saved, we belong to the Lord and we are to handle our vessel, this body. We are to, we're to implore into the practices that God would have for us. And all of this is based in that relationship with Jesus Christ. If we come down here and we begin to look, he says uh, in verse 10, uh, that he, so that he might know him, the power of his resurrection... The fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And again, this is a a very deep, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand now. Now there's a lot of water that's under the bridge here, right? Ten years have passed since he first wrote these things to the church in the, at the. A lot of a lot of he's seen a lot of wonderful things, but he's also experienced a lot of suffering. And yet Paul is able to say because of this relationship with Jesus Christ God's not wasting anything and all of the suffering I've experienced it, it is for a point. There is purpose in my pain as a believer just like it is in yours. There's a goal in mine. Sanctification. Spiritual growth. Centering on knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But He moves on from this, and he he makes some other things clear. Because growing up is obviously a a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's got to start there, right? And, And Paul says that knowing Christ and seeing the power of God displayed in your life and experiencing God, experiencing God, it leads us to understand God's never leaving us. Understand, we understand the provision and the and the providing power of God. That nothing is impossible with God, when we experience God in a real, tangible way, and and oftentimes, if we're honest, we experience that when we go through the valley, the difficulty. When we're when we're being forced to experience things that we just are not. Waking up in the morning saying, I'm going to choose this today. I want some suffering today, God. I don't have enough of it, Lord. I need some suffering today. We're not getting up saying that. We're just trying to get out the door with the makeup put on right or the teeth brushed and dressed for work, you know, in a lot of cases. You know, a kid growing up, I was eating my breakfast on the way to school. I wanted every second of sleep I could get. And and of course, you know, mom loves coffee and she would drink coffee and sometimes I would wear it to school uh, as well. But uh, anyway, but this relationship starts with Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say something else here, that not only is it relational with Christ, but we grow by following the example of others. There is a need for a local church. Not the virtuous, not the virtual church. Yes, a virtuous church, but not this. just this virtual church. I mean, it's not the same. And in our culture today, we are wrapped up in the idea of doing everything online, right? Paying the bills is fine. And if, and if you're on vacation and you want to stay connected or, or you're sick and you're homebound and you want to stay connected to the service, the there's a place for that. By all means. But I think we all would agree right now today that there is a difference, there is a profound difference of looking at a fireplace on the television with respect to feeling the warmth of the fireplace in the living room. And that's exactly, that is exactly the difference between virtual church and a local church. Not only that, there's obviously the accountability aspect of that. Now, listen to what Paul says. Listen to this. Talking about relationships with others. Following the example of others. Listen to what he says. In verse 12, Paul says, I'm not already attained. I'm not already perfected. There's a, there's a great admission. You talk about self-awareness. The Apostle Paul says, I, haven't, I have not made it to the point where this concerns me no I'm not either. We're all works in progress, amen? But Paul said he had a goal in mind, and he was willing to press on. He was willing to lay hold of that goal and understanding what that goal is and pursuing that goal, Okay but I want you to notice what he says speaking of relationship with other people. Because We won't come back, but look at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Can you, for a moment, think about the boldness of what he just said? Just... Just think for a moment what he just said. Paul said, follow me. I know the way. I know the one. I have the right goal in mind. And I have lived a pattern before you that if you follow it, you will not go astray. Wow. Wow. And this is the expectation that not only, not only, had Paul given this example to the church, again, you talking about skin in the game? This he's writing this from Rome imprisoned. And he's able to say, over the last ten years, as I've planted churches, I've written these letters to to establish doctrine in those churches and the way in which the church is to function even. He says, follow me, I have laid down a proper example for you. God, let it be said of us, because people are watching. You look around our church today, and you know, there's, a whole, there's a whole church full of them in the back here of, of little ones that are, that are growing up looking at us, saying, saying that's how it's supposed to work, right? See, I grew up in a church where all the deacons before the service were offering burnt offerings out front on, on the steps. Son, in the words of Eisenhower, if you got them, burn them. I mean, they believed in that. Camels, marbles, Winstons, it didn't matter. 100s, regulars, it didn't matter. Lights, menthols, it didn't matter. Cigars, stogies, whatever. We, you know, that was, that was the thing growing up in the 70s. We were smoking at the big star in the produce section. It did Everywhere you went, they smoked in the hospital, man. We were even telling women to take the edge off a of pregnancy by lighting some camels up, man. But we were following the science, so anyway. It, it, that was just what it was. And me and my brother one day, I remember this, me and Kevin, we went and got our little jackets on. Went and got my, my dad's Raleigh filters, and we lit them up in the utility room. And we were burning them cigarettes with a cup of water in the other hand because they were terrible. And Mom called us and asked what we were doing. I'm not kidding you. We said well, we won't be like them guys at church. That's what we said. It was it was it was hilarious to us. And I, and I and I lo- Don't get me wrong. I love those men. They they love the Lord. I'm not making fun of it. But it was just a thing back then. I used to go to work with my dad. He was a railroad man, and uh, Mr. Oriel Pickle, that was the agent down in Adel in the depot. He'd have five cigarettes burning in the place at one time. If he's working on his computer, a cigarette handy. If you went in the bathroom, one burning there, one over there by the copier, wherever he was at in that office, he could pick it up and he could he could burn it. Man, I mean that's just the way it was back then. And we don't we don't do that now, but but back then that was the thing, you know. We don't have that issue. Today we might have a few people try to vape in church every now and then, but we tell them don't do that, okay? It's okay. <laughs> now, I, I say that to, to make just a clear point that we all recognize, that little kids look at us and they say, that's how you do it, right? That's how you do it. And, and, and the audacity of Paul to say, I've laid a pattern down that if you follow, you will not go astray. Because growing up, first and foremost, is our relationship with Jesus Christ. But growing up also is this relationship with other people. God's given us those folks to us. As we've said before, you're going to become that company in which you keep. And we're to be mindful of this relational aspect of growing and following other believers, the example that they are laying before us. But there's something else about growing up, and that is that it's demanding. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's hard. It's hard. You you know we got a lot of young people. And they're they're playing rec sports, and they got you know they got their favorite uh, you know uh, football uh, athlete in mind, or they're uh, you know they're a baseball person, and they. They know every stat that Derek Jeter ever laid down, and they just want to be able to play shortstop half as good as him one day. But, but, they're, but they're dreaming about the idea of, of being good at that sport and understanding that if, if you were, apart from some natural God-given talent, if you were just going, if you were good enough to, to perfect practice and do it consistently, if, if you wanted to get into a Division One school, Understand, you'd have to be good, and you'd have to spend about ten thousand hours of practice to be good enough to play for a Division One school that, that was a good baseball school or, or a good football school. It's a lot of time. That is a lot of time, and considering that that from the time a person's in kindergarten to when they will graduate, so that they can have a uh, have a diploma to go to go to another school. That's 15,000 hours from K through 12. So, so think about it. Just to play ball, you, you've spent two-thirds of that, basically, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's demanding. And, and yet we look, at, we look at the things and the Word of God and look at all of these mar- that have gone before us and our fathers uh, in the faith and we think it's easy? No. It is hard. It is demanding. And and when you choose to step out in faith and follow God and do hard things, you are going to experience them. Absolutely. They will come. No doubt. And Paul, he says this. He says, I have a... made it to the point where I'm not worried about going. but he says I'm no longer consumed with things that are behind me I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead Paul had a goal in mind Paul had a goal in mind athletes train to get better if if they're going to compete in the Olympics one day they're checking their times and they know that to qualify on on the, at the world level, there's a certain time, whatever the event is, that I've got to meet. There's a threshold, or I'm not even going to be in, included, much less win it. I got to qualify at this level just to get in. You a NASCAR fan, Daytona 500, you know, last week I think it was. Uh, you you know, there's a lot of people that show up, but there's only going to be about 40 or so that are going to go around that track 200 times. Seems like 200,000, but anyway, you know. Because there is a certain qualifying time. And you know how to reach that, and, and, and every time you do it, you go, man, I'm not there yet. And what do you do? You train harder. Why? Because that is a goal that you are pressing forward to. And that's fine. That's great. I'm not against that. But I want to say that with the, with the same understanding in mind, what it would take to meet that goal that is temporal. There's a much greater cost associated with living out the things of God and and experiencing the things of God in your life. It costs us something. It's a challenge. It's demanding, Paul says. He says, I press toward the goal. I press. It's, 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 It's the terminology they would use to say, I am practicing hard. I'm bringing my body into subjection. I have a goal in mind and I am serious about attaining attaining that goal. It's a mindset, he says. And he's preparing us for the next part of this. Growing up, looking to the Lord. Our relationship means that I'm looking to those who are around us, who serve with us, who are in, in church consistently with us, and we see their lives being lived out. Lived out. We see the, the heartache and the tragedies that they experience, and yet they are faithful, and it encourages us, right? And we realize, if we take an honest assessment of what he's saying, that it is hard, that it is demanding, that growth is challenging, right? And Paul says, and we need to learn that. We need to have that mindset because there are real enemies of the gospel that you are going to have to do business with. We live in a culture today that is adamantly opposed to the things that we believe. Not just to the point where they say we're in opposition, but that they do things to show their animus toward us. That they despise what we're doing. And if you look around in our culture today and you just think, who are the role models that that everybody's looking to? The majority of those are not church leaders. And and by the way, I don't know that they should be, to be honest with you, in our culture today. But most likely, there's somebody connected to the entertainment business in some respect. I mean, for crying out loud, we've had a show going on a long time now called American Idol. (laughs) We love, our, we love our idols. We have people that are in opposition to the gospel and to your outward religious practice of the things that you say you believe. We see it in our culture all the time. And Paul said, get ready, because there are those who walk around you and who you live among who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 18. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. And again, it's, it's, not, it's not so much if you believe that we're going to crucify you as much today as it is just an outright perverting of the gospel. A changing, a tweaking. Paul warns against that. That we're to... Pose the enemies of the gospel. Paul was grieved by the, the reality of this, caused Paul to he says weeping. Real enemies of the cross of Christ. And then finally, he leaves us with this. He says Our citizenship is in heaven in verse twenty. Which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform us. We might be conformed to his glorious body according to the working which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy, my crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast in what? In these things. And he says, in respect to your motivation, the anticipation of eternity. See, that ought to motivate us, folks. It ought, it ought to motivate us because we understand as Christian people, because this is our textbook, right? Not, not somebody's seven steps to this or that, but, but the Bible. Not, not the commentary because God's Word is commentary on their notes. The book. The scriptures. We're to know them. We're to read them. We're to study them. Why? Because we understand when we read this book, it's never going to tell us that there's hell number two for those that aren't quite as bad. No, when, when we leave this earth, there are one of two places we're going to spend, upstairs or downstairs. It's either with the Lord and heaven and all that He's prepared for us, or it's with the devil in hell forever. The Bible does not shy away from that. We do that today because we don't want to offend anybody. But the reality is there is a hell to shun and there is a heaven to gain. And if it is offensive to you, it will be offended now. Be offended now. Because, folks, there is no hell number two. And we think about folks that have done all kinds of, of heinous acts and and, and, and a level of depravity we can't wrap our mind around. We say, yes, yeah, surely they're in hell. But hell is full of people who were pretty doggone good. But they weren't saved. They were compliant. They were philanthropists. Hell's full of people who thought they were good enough and that God was lucky to have them. Christian, understand. Understand. There is a heaven we're to gain and the eternal security that we have through this relationship with Jesus Christ it is ours if we believe in faith and respond our citizenship is in heaven this world is not our own and we're pilgrims passing through and when we realize that trying times abound threats abound not all over the world especially even here, but all over the world, it it can cost you your life to be a believer. It's a reality. We're to stand firm. We're to grow up. We're to mature. So we can do the difficult things and the hard things that God calls us to. I, I think of, you know, William Carey has often, you know, said of his life that he, he kind of it was it was through him that our modern day mission the way we do things was kind of birthed through him. It was kind of modeled by what he did. But understand a man who went to India, had to learn, really learn the language, and then tried to, you know, because the people didn't understand the Bible, he sought to put the Bible in their uh, native tongue, uh, you know, Bengali, and, and and he did all of that work, and, and it was, I mean, he did that for seven years before he ever baptized the first convert. You think he didn't think about giving up? You bet. Why why did he not? Because he understood. God expects us to do hard things. God's not promised us this life of ease. You know, you just speak it, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it kind of thing that we like to say today. God's not promised us that stuff. But he's promised us heaven. He's promised us eternity with Him. He's offered us to live in a city whose maker is not a man, but God Almighty Himself. God's promised us that He will never leave us or forsake us, and through the valleys and the darkest times of our life, we are not alone. And we are we're experiencing and going to experience those things. And we have a joyful heart in the midst of our suffering. Because we understand our citizenship is in heaven. And we labor for years sometimes in what we think is just, nothing's coming of this. But we're faithful. And God gives the increase when He chooses to give the increase. We were talking about chores the other day. It's always a topic around our house of things and Based on their ages, they have different tasks to do, and you know, one of them is the uh, the trash sanitation engineer, and and, and one is the uh, is, is is the dishwashing engineer. And uh, I was asking my son, whose job is to take care of the trash, to do that. And He said, "Well, go get so and so to do it. Ask them to do it. I'm I'm doing this." Ask them to do it. And I said, "No, that's that's your job." Well, he don't do his job most of the time, so that might, might be true. But that doesn't change the fact that this is your job. And like a good sanitation engineer, he did his job. Eventually, we're to do what God's called us to. We're to be faithful, and we're to stand. To be calls us home, or we're here at His appearing. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not judged by what somebody else is doing over here. We're going to give an account for what we're supposed to be doing. And God desires for us to grow up. Forget the shallowness of just modern-day Christianity stuff. Forget that. Commit to do hard things and do them for the glory of God. There's great reward in being faithful. Just be faithful. Mature and grow in your relationship with the Lord. That's what God wants for His church. He wants us to grow up. And may that be your heart's desire this morning. Let's join our hearts in prayer. If you would, let's stand to our feet this morning. Father, we love you and we acknowledge today that God, even on our best day, we're still a work in progress. We thank you, God, for your patience, for your long-suffering, Father. And with the way you've gifted me with my time, my talent, my trust, help me to be faithful and to be a good steward over this vessel. And those things that you've given me. Help me just to be faithful. God, you give the increase. You do what only you can do. But help me to be faithful. God, help us grow today. And Father, give us the strength to step out in faith. To commit our lives to you. To realize our need for a Savior. And to confess you unashamedly today. Draw us, Father, to your cross. Draw us, Father, to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.